Welcome to the Northway College Podcast. My name is Ryan, and I am the college pastor here at Northway Church, and we are so glad that you are tuning in to this series. You are actually listening to the final episode in our Rejoice series. Throughout the series, we've talked about the different commands that we see in Scripture to rejoice in certain things. In this episode, we are concluding that series with the command to rejoice in the gospel. And as you know, these are this is a series that we've been doing with our home teams, which are our small groups that meet throughout the week. And the, the first thing we, we talked about and discussed in home teams is just the idea of what is the gospel. Like, let, let's give a broad definition of it. Let's explain what the gospel even is, even in just a simple form, just an overview. And so we said it starts with creation. It starts that God created the heavens and the earth and saw that it was good. He created all living things and saw that they were good. But God created mankind and he has a special relationship with mankind. He said that mankind was very good. He actually created mankind in his image. There's a special relationship that man has with his creator. But it doesn't last long. Because man rebelled against creator God. Man rejected God. He sinned against God. And with this sin comes death. It comes death uh, physically at one point. It comes a spiritual death. A separation from the creator God. A, a severed relationship from the author of life itself. And there's nothing mankind can do to fix it. They can't become undead on their own. They can't do enough good works. They can't avoid enough sin to be back in right relationship with the creator and author of life. Mankind's default setting is dead, deserving of the wrath of God. But God loves man so much that he wanted to create a way for mankind to be back in right relationship with him. And so his way, because the, the whole point of it is that sin must be punished. He couldn't just excuse the sin. He, the sin must be punished. And so he does the unthinkable, and he comes down into this broken world as Jesus, Jesus, uh, God the Son, and Jesus lives the perfect life that mankind could not live up to. And then Jesus dies the death on a cross that mankind deserved, drinking the cup of wrath from God the Father. And Jesus died on the cross, but he doesn't stay dead. He arose from the cross in victory with a promise that whoever believes in who he is and what he did on the cross will have the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, dwell in them, will be brought from death to life. The relationship with God the Father will be once again restored for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. We said that this hope, this promise, is what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so on a basic level, that's what the gospel is. And, and what we talked about in the very first week of this series is that the gospel is not just some get out of hell free card. It's not just some one-time magical prayer you pray and then you check it off the list and move on. It, it doesn't 
uh, take you from being morally bad to morally good. The gospel is you going from death to life. It's, it's a message of reconciliation with your creator, God. It's getting back to the design of how it was intended to be. And through that, we're able to rejoice in the Lord, which is the foundation of this entire series. And the foundation of everything is rejoicing in the Lord and the gospel is the means through which we are able to do that once again. Uh, there's so many passages in Scripture that proclaim this gospel. In fact, the whole narrative of Scripture is pointing to this gospel. And some key ones you would think of is throughout the book of Romans. It's called the Romans Road. You can see this whole gospel spelled out. You think of Ephesians 2, that you were dead in your sins. You were slave to your own desires of the flesh. You were children of wrath, deserving the wrath of God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us, made us alive in Christ. Though we were once dead in our trespasses, we are saved by grace. And so you have passages like this that proclaim the gospel. And so we spend a lot of time nailing down, getting, making sure we have an understanding of what this gospel is, because the gospel is everything. It's the foundation of it all. And from there, we looked at a, a key verse which is Luke 10, 20. And it's, this is Jesus speaking. He says, However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, following up to this verse, Jesus' disciples had gone out. They performed mighty miracles in his name. They had cast out demons. And they were just astonished. And they were rejoicing at the power they had over even demonic spirits. And then verse 20 is Jesus' response. He says, hey, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And what he's saying is, is as, as incredible as it is that through the power of the spirit, you are able to do miraculous things. How much greater, how much sweeter, how much more joy does it bring you to know that you have salvation that, that you are in right relationship with God the Father. Once again, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in salvation. So from there, we talked about what specific parts of the gospel bring you the most joy. And there's really not necessarily a right answer to this because there, there's an infinite number of, of aspects of the gospel and our relationship with the Lord that bring us joy but a couple we talked about was just knowing that we're forgiven that our sins our mistakes our past do not have to be held against us any longer they're not held over our head any longer so we rejoice that we are forgiven we rejoice that we have new life we rejoice in in the eternity that we receive that we eternally get to spend our lives with our creator God and so that's a reason to rejoice or rejoice in the direction and the purpose we have in life because of the gospel like I said there's there's a million different ways or things to rejoice about because of the gospel and so from there we transition to okay there's a million reasons to rejoice in the gospel so what does it look like to rejoice in the gospel what does it look like to have this inner joy become an outward expression. And one we said was obedience. That 
a way that you rejoice in the gospel is through obeying and following the commands of your creator God. That you trust and know that this is what's best for you and you are excited to follow his lead. You have a passion about you and excitement over the gospel. Think about when you see a movie you really love or you, something incredible happens. I mean, most of you, probably all of you, you go tell someone. You don't just keep it cooped up in your own brain. You don't just just keep moving on. You go tell someone. You you are excited to tell someone. You you share it with those around you. It dominates your thoughts. It dominates your words. It changes what you do. That's what rejoicing to the gospel is. It's a complete transformation of your mind, body, and soul. It gives you a passion, an excitement, a direction. It consumes your thoughts. It consumes your speech. It affects the way you live. And ultimately, to rejoice in the gospel increases your love for God because you see what has been done for you. It, you see the great love with which he loved you and how he demonstrated on the cross, but it also increases your love for his people, that he died for them as well. That he died on the cross for the, the world around you and because he loves them and you see the love that he loves them and so it increases your love for them as well and the desire for for the world to know this relationship that you have because you know the joy that comes from relationship with the Lord and so you want others to experience that joy as well. And so it starts, first and foremost, you cannot rejoice in the gospel if you yourself have not been saved and changed by the gospel. You can't truly rejoice in it unless you have experienced it, unless you have a relationship with your Heavenly Father through it. But like we said earlier, or a few moments ago, is that a rejoicing in the gospel increases your love for God, but also increases your love for people. And so a natural response to rejoicing in the gospel is a desire for others to experience this gospel. It's a desire to go and share this gospel. But it's not just a natural response, it's actually commanded in Scripture. In what's known as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore, this is Jesus' his last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, we're commanded to go and make disciples, to share the gospel with those around, them, around us, to teach them the commands of the Lord so that they might follow the commands of the Lord and experience the joy that we have from our relationship. And so seeing that this is a crucial part of the Christian faith, it's not just a, 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 a thing that we can kind of do if we want to, or a thing that we do sometimes. This is a key and integral part of the Christian faith is proclaiming this gospel. In fact, we were created to glorify God and make his name famous. We were created to proclaim his glory. So seeing as this is a crucial crucial part of the faith, we talked in our home teams about different ways we can fight to advance the gospel, practical steps we can take to advance the gospel of Christ. And so we listed a, a bunch of them. I won't hit them all. And there's obviously many more, but some of the bigger ones that, that you hear more often are inviting someone to church. You invite someone to 
come to a service, come to a home team or a small group, and you know that when they come, they're going to hear the gospel preached. Another thing is living a life of obedience. Sometimes one of the most powerful things you can do is follow through example, follow in obedience yourself so that others see that there's something different. They see the gospel played out in your life. And so it's crucial, a way to fight and to advance the gospel is living a life of obedience. Another way is to meet the physical and practical needs for others. Jesus loved people well, and a part of that was meeting their needs physically. He fed the he fed the multitude. He healed the lame, gave sight to the blind. And, and so a part of us loving others well and fighting to advance the gospel is taking care of their physical and practical needs. Another way is to invite unbelieving friends to spend time with believing friends. Invite the unbeliever into your life as you are surrounded and and rooted in Christian relationships and Christian friendships, invite unbelieving friends into those relationships so that they can see what it looks like to live out the gospel so they can be surrounded with with those who are living out the gospel and speaking the gospel. Prayer is a huge thing. We recognize that the gospel advances not on our own ability, but solely on, on on Christ and His ability and His grace, that means we must be given over to prayer. We must pray for the world around us. But, but here's something that I think we miss sometimes. A lot of times we'll give these other answers or we'll live in these other ways, and truthfully, some of them aren't as intimidating. But here's the one that we get hung up on, but it is an absolute necessity. We must speak the gospel with our words. We must speak the the gospel with our words. These other things we mentioned in and of themselves, yes, they're good, but they have to be matched with us speaking the truth of the gospel in love. Inviting people to church is a good thing that we should do, but evangelism does not just fall on our pastors. Living in obedience is an absolute necessity for us to have a credible witness to the world around us, but our actions must be accompanied by our words. Meeting the practical needs of others is following the example of Jesus, but practical needs met without the truth of the gospel are only band-aids for the ultimate problem. We must speak. God spoke creation into existence. With words, God commanded Ezekiel to prophesy to the dry bones, and the dry bones came alive. God invites us to proclaim his glory with our lips, not because he's dependent upon our praises, because if if we don't proclaim his glory, even the stones will cry out in praise, it says in Luke 19.40, but because that is what he deserves, and that is what's best for us is to proclaim his glory and and honor and glorify him in all that we do but we must speak the gospel with words and so we talked in home teams okay what are why do you think that we shy away from actually speaking the gospel why is this something that is so difficult and for some people, we say it's a, it's a perceived lack of knowledge, that we don't feel intelligent enough to share the gospel. We don't feel like we know enough, or maybe the person that we want to share with might know more. and They might ask something that we don't understand or we won't be able to have an answer for. 
Others, it's a fear of a loss of a relationship altogether. So maybe you have a friendship and you know it's this person is an unbeliever. You know they need Jesus and you're scared that you sharing the gospel will come across as condemning them and you'll lose a relationship altogether. Or a fear of rejection. You don't want to share the gospel because you want, want people to reject you and never even have a friendship altogether. An overall lack of confidence in, in your own ability where you don't feel equipped enough to share the gospel. You don't feel like you'll have the words to speak. You don't feel like you'll be able to execute it well. Knowledge plays into it as well. Maybe you feel like a hypocrite yourself, so you don't feel like you can share. There's just a sense of awkwardness. Like, when do I bring this up? How do I bring this up? How do I make it not a weird thing? But here's the ultimate reason why I think, like, if it all boils down to it, if we could sum it up into one reason why we don't speak the gospel to those around us is we have a lack of love for those around us. We, we have a lack of love. We don't love them enough to share the gospel. And that seems harsh. It seems like a strong thing to say. But if we really, really believe in what the gospel says, that without Christ we are dead in our sins and trespasses, that we are deserving of the very wrath of God. And then barring us putting our faith and trust in Jesus, we will live out our existence with the wrath of God poured out on us in a real place called hell. If we genuinely believe that, then how unloving do we have to be to not speak the gospel at any opportunity we can? To see past all these different barriers or perceived barriers and to proclaim the gospel at any opportunity we have the chance. We have to remember that God promises in the Great Commission that he will be with us. His very spirit actually dwells within us. He gives us words when we have none. He's the source of all knowledge and wisdom. Salvation rests on his shoulders and not our own. And in him, we boldly and confidently can proclaim the gospel. Why? Because how unloving do we have to be to know the message of the only true, or truth and hope, yet withhold it from a dying world? I think of a story of a magician named Pendulette. There's a video on YouTube. You can Google or YouTube and it'll probably come up. But he's a proclaimed atheist. He still is. But several years back after one of the shows, this pastor came up and gave him a Bible. And it just brought him to tears. And he says he knew, he knew that I didn't believe in what he believed. But he, he did it anyways. And he said, how, how unloving do you have to be to have the, this message and believe those things but not share it with someone? And so he was just touched at the sheer fact that this man would share this with him. And it spoke volumes to him. And so that's our mentality is that we know the world around us is lost. We know the world around us is dying without Christ. We have people we know and are close to and are even family members who don't have a relationship with Jesus. They don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They don't have an eternal hope that comes through Christ. And so we must proclaim the gospel to them. We must 
be on mission to to share at any opportunity we can have to share the hope that we have in Christ. And then from there, when the gospel is advanced, we rejoice in the advancement of the gospel. We rejoice in the advancement of the gospel. It actually says, this is Paul in Philippians 1.18, there are some, some people teaching out of false motives and, and they're teaching the true gospel, but just not with a, a proper mentality out of arrogance, out of selfish gain. But Paul says, what does it matter? On that in every day, every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. And so the sentiment behind that is that as long as the gospel is being advanced, I'm going to rejoice in it. And so when the gospel is advanced, we celebrate. And what does that what does that look like on an individual basis? It means we get excited. That means it, it drives us to, to it encourages us to share the gospel even more. And then also on a corporate level, we celebrate our our brothers and sisters in Christ who are laboring alongside of us, proclaiming this gospel. When they have wins, we celebrate. When they go through difficult times, we rally around them and pray for them and comfort them and help them think through and pray through what it will look like to continue to share the gospel. But it is a, a thing that we must rejoice in and, and give ourselves over to is the advancement of the gospel because it is of eternal importance. And so the challenge we kind of left everyone with in home teams is who in your life needs the gospel? Who is someone who does not have a relationship with Jesus and, and, and figure out who that is. Get with a fellow believer and pray and discuss how you can better share this hope of Jesus with them. Update each other on how it's going. Commit yourself to the mission of sharing the gospel to someone in your life who needs it because it is of eternal significance and importance. We really hope this series was good for you. We hope that throughout this series, you reclaim the joy in your relationship with the Lord. That that joy is something that flows through you and, and it brings uh, you to rejoice in all these different things. We hope that all these different avenues we discuss, rejoicing in the body, rejoicing in the word, rejoicing in the gospel, rejoicing in our weakness, all rejoicing suffering, all these different things we talked about. We hope that you have a new perspective of reclaiming that joy you have in the Lord and making rejoicing in the Lord the foundation of everything you do. And with the ebbs and flows of life, you'll have the consistent and constant joy of Christ and the peace of Christ unwavering in your heart if this this was encouraging for you i hope that you will share it with your friends that you will share it on social media and, and even let us know how it, it encouraged you we're looking forward to what the future brings with all of this and we hope you'll stay tuned to our further podcasts thanks y'all